0: You're about to get some information you can actually use. It's what we do here on American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson.
1: The U.S. Supreme Court has selected the next round of cases to hear for their next session. And regardless of how they rule, we can pretty much guarantee that the decisions will affect our lives in some way. I'm Mike Ferguson. Now, remember, over the past two years, we've seen rulings on religious freedom and the freedom of speech and the Second Amendment. And all of those have been huge in terms of their legal ramifications. So what will the next set of cases mean to us or what could they mean? We're joined now by Mike O'Neill from the Landmark Legal Foundation to preview just that. Now, Mike, when they select cases, they do so for very specific reasons. Of course, the high court picks cases in order to set precedent or to clarify how the Constitution applies where the law needs to be clarified, and Mike, is there any pattern to the cases they picked this time?
0: Well, one of the one of the operative terms of this term is going to be separation of powers. Now, I know that's kind of a loaded civics government term, but it really it it, it means. Who decides what? Who has the power? Which branch of government has the power to do what? And remember, we, are, as, as founded on our Constitution, we have the legislative power rests in Congress. The lawmaking power is Congress. The executive power or enforcement is for the president, the executive branch, and the judicial power, the power to decide cases, judicial review is the judiciary and so we're we're really going to get back to first principles with this with these cases before the court we have a a case called loper versus romando which involves what is known as the chevron doctrine Mm -hmm. the chevron doctrine is kind of an obscure judicial doctrine that's applied to cases but what has happened is it's really abetted this the incredible growth of the size and scope of the administrative state so the administrative state all of these all of these agencies EPA, etc., have all grown because of the Chevron doctrine. Well, that's under review for the court. The court's going to decide whether agencies have the power to decide ambiguous statutory terms. That's the term. But essentially, what it really boils down to is who's going to decide: is Congress going to make the laws, or the administrative agencies going to make the law? They're going to make the laws. We have another case called Moore versus the United States. Now, this is going. To, this is an important case because this involves the wealth tax. Whether Congress had what powers Congress has to tax. Whether they can invoke just the barest pretenses to to impose a wealth tax upon the American people. Now, the Constitution, again, we're talking separation of powers. The Constitution specifically says if you're going to impose a wealth tax on people, it has to be directly apportioned amongst the states. That means that each state has to pay its share based on their population. Well, this wealth tax law that was enacted by Congress didn't do that. Instead, instead, it said, oh, if you're going to have a, you're going to, it's going to equate to an income tax. In other words, if you don't have any kind of realized gain, you're going to be able to tax that. Again, a wealth tax is, is up for the court in a case called Moore versus the United States. Another case involving separation of powers, I know I'm saying a lot, mm-hmm. involves the CFPB. This is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. This is whether they could be a self financed entity. Remember, talking about separation of powers, Congress tells the agencies, designates how much money agencies have, the the power of the purse. Again, one of the crucial powers of Congress is the power of the purse. Well, the CFPB has a self-funding mechanism that kind of puts itself out of that loop. In other words, they can continue to exist Absent any appropriation from Congress on an annual basis, so they really lose accountability. One of those important things is that these agencies are accountable to Congress because they, Congress has the power of the purse. The CFPB has a self funding mechanism, so they're outside of that. Appro- they're outside of that accountability. So really, the watchword here is separation of powers. Who gets to decide what and how the, how the government operates? One case in particular looks
1: like another gun Second Amendment case, and that is the Rahimi case. Tell me about that one.
0: Right. this If you remember a couple terms ago, there was a Bruin decision, which stated that you do have a Second Amendment right. Remember, the Supreme Court doesn't take these Second Amendment cases, gun rights cases, very often. But this is a couple terms ago. They had the Bruin case, which said that you have a right to fire. You have a right to own a gun for self-protection. And they traced a long history of all of that. This is going to extend that. See how far out the protections of the Second Amendment extend. In this case, we have. A individual who had a restraining order placed upon them and they were prohibited from owning a gun. So if you have a restraining order, again, that is not a criminal conviction. Does that prohibit you from owning a firearm? Will that, will that allow the police to confiscate your firearm? In other words, do the protections of the second amendment extend even in cases where you have a judicial restraining order placed upon you? So it's really going to further flesh out the width and breadth of the second amendment taking taking its cue from that case a, a few a few terms ago the blue decision
1: okay so Mike let me let me follow up on that with uh, the question could that ruling one way or the other affect mm-hmm. the concept of red flag laws as well I mean it's not a restraining order but it's still a court right, order absolutely. is it yeah is it possible that that could extend into that as well
0: certainly and again it, it talks about these are these are things that aren't convictions right what what extent at what point can your Second Amendment right be infringed upon? And that's really the, where where where's the court gonna draw the line? Again, the Second Amendment is not a lesser amendment, just because it's the Second Amendment doesn't mean it has, it's not, it doesn't take a back seat to your other amendment. Just because you are suspected of a crime doesn't mean you can, or accused of a crime, that doesn't mean you can infringe upon your right to free speech or your right to free exercise of religion. So the Second Amendment is on par on our Bill of Rights with the rest of those amendments, it is is protected. And so the Supreme Court's really gonna determine the extent to which those protections are. They're going to flesh out those and really kind of get into that, what you're talking about, whether they're these lesser, lesser, not lesser penalties or lesser prohibitions that are placed upon you, whether that is going to infringe upon your second amendment, whether a state or an entity can infringe upon your second amendment. If those cases, if, if those circumstances arise.
1: And what's the timetable look like for this? I mean, when are they going to begin proceedings? There's 35 cases
0: currently before the court. Now, that number is going to expand. It can expand anywhere from 60 to 80. So we're going to have a lot more cases on the docket. But currently, there are 35 cases that have been calendared and scheduled. And oral arguments proceed all the way into the spring, if you remember. They, they calendar them. Uh, right now, I think the first case we're talking about, I think they're going to do the CFPB case, that can, that self-funding Case, um, so that's they're starting right now, and so we're going to hear oral arguments. You're going to have news about what these oral arguments occur and what happened, and you can design, just you can discern some hints about where the justices are going to go based on oral arguments. You can't definitively establish what the decisions are going to be. Again, decisions start coming down the pike probably early next year, all the way up into. Remember, the most the most high profile cases always seem to be the last ones decided. The ones we're probably talking about today aren't going to be. We're not actually going to see the opinions of the justices until probably uh, late May, early June for some of these big cases.
1: We're visiting with Mike O'Neill from the Landmark Legal Foundation. And, uh, Mike, I want to go back to kind of that premise we started with, with the Mm -hmm. selection of the cases often means a lot, uh, regardless of whether we like or don't like what the Supreme Court uh, does. Is there any indication of how the chief justice or how the court itself selects these cases? Because, I mean, obviously, there Mm -hmm. are some cases that... Maybe bigger as far as the number of people it immediately affects that either right. aren't getting selected, getting sent back down to other courts uh, so when they select these specific cases like we've seen over the last couple of years, there is such a wide ranging effect on the country and particularly absolutely. often on Congress and on the states themselves
0: absolutely and so a couple of decisions a couple of factors go into whether they take a case number one is going to be whether it's a case of national importance again when we're talking about the chevron doctrine for example the loper versus raimondo case this involves the power of every single government federal executive agency so you're talking hundreds of billions of dollars that these agencies are budgeted and ex- ex- the extent to which they can administer issue administrative regulations Regulations that control our daily lives. So that's that's a case of immense national importance. It's also in line with a a string of cases that they've been deciding on the power and the size and scope of the administrative state. If you recall, there was that case uh, last year about uh, President Biden's uh, President Biden's forgiveness of student loans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the EPA, there was an EPA case a couple of years ago involving major questions doctors. So this is another in the line of what the power of the executive branch, the power of the administrative agencies have. They also have, they also take on whether their circuit splits. Now, they're judicial circuits throughout the country, and if one circuit court of appeals has a decision in one case, and another has a decision in another case, and those are in tension with each other, the court's going to accept those cases to reconcile that so you don't have inconsistent application of the law throughout the country. So those are, re- and then again, you'll have these uh, strict constitutional law cases. Again, you have Second Amendment cases. You'll have free exercise cases. If there's a particularly egregious decision or infringement upon a particularly protected right, the court will often step in to try to rectify those decisions or try to give its opinion and guidance on those cases.
1: All right. Uh, Mike O'Neill, Landmark Legal Foundation, landmarklegal.org, as I recall. And of course, you can find you easily on social media as well. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Y'all have a great day. Well, just ahead, why would government trying to keep housing affordable be a problem? Well, it depends on how they try to accomplish that. California is among the latest centers of debate on what role government has and what happens if the state gets it wrong. Could that actually leave fewer people with options despite good intentions? What's happening there is being pushed all over the country, and we're talking about it right here on American Viewpoints.